you have two options. You, you can, if something is bad enough that you need to complain about it, you need to find something to do about it, or you gotta let it go. Hello everyone, this is the Let's Give a Damn podcast. My name is Nick Lapara. welcome. I'm so over the top thrilled that you're here. I mean that, I love that you take the time to listen, to share, to be here with me and experience these incredible stories of the damn givers that I bring to you. So thank you again for being here. My guest today is Jen Anderson, the founder and executive director of Violet Seas. Before I get any more into her introduction, I want to give you an update on something that I've been talking about for weeks now. A few weeks ago, I started telling you that I was going to be leading a 6K for water along with my friends at World Vision. Well, that happened a week ago last Saturday, May 19th. It happened, it was amazing, it was so much fun. We were able to exceed the goal that we had. We had a goal of raising $1,500. We raised, uh, I think $1,600 thereabouts. So it was beautiful, a few friends joined me. The cool thing though, is that, well, there's a couple cool things. One is that my six-year-old daughter joined me. She did the whole thing, she was a trooper, it was amazing. And I got to, sh- I got to share a little bit more with her about these children that have to do this every single day, not just one Saturday a year when we do this 6K. And um, so that was really cool to get to experience that with her. The other cool thing is that Solis and I, and the others, and those of us walking in Nashville got to join in with almost 50,000 people walking around the world. It was their biggest 6K ever by a long shot. And I'm so glad to say that over 60,000 children will now get lasting water and will soon never have to make that 6K walk ever again, we hope. And so thank you for um, for listening to me share share about this over the last few weeks for thinking of us, for some of you gave, some of you walked with me. I'm just so incredibly grateful to be able to do these little things alongside you. So thank you. Back to my guest, Jen Anderson. I really, truly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I've known her husband, Mike, for several years now, but I've never actually met Jen. But I've loved watching this uh, organization, Violet Seas, grow out of a potential tragedy when their daughter was just a few weeks old. They found out that she was blind. And she'll and Jen will explain more about what kind of blindness and all of that. But what I didn't know is that 80% of blindness is treatable or preventable. And so she will get into the, to the nitty gritty details of that. But the bottom line is she was able to, through science and medicine and all of that, she was able to regain her eyesight, which is incredible. And so Jen, over the course of these experiences and things she experienced after started Violet Seas. And it's a beautiful organization that is still growing, but they have, they're already doing some incredible things. And I'm so excited to share those with you here in our conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jen Anderson, the founder and executive director of Violet Seas. Let's go. It is my great honor to have Jen Anderson on the podcast today. Jen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for taking some time to be with us. I'm so excited to share a little bit about your story and what you're doing. I've never met you, but I've known your husband for years. And so I've stood on the sidelines as I've watched 
little bit about the project that we're going to talk about today come to life over the years. And so I'm excited to finally get to talk to you about it. So thank you again for being on the show today. Yeah, of course. You live in Seattle right now. Why don't you, or I guess you probably live in Seattle for a long time, but why don't you take us back all the way to the beginning? What I usually like to do in the beginning of these conversations is get some sort of a sense for who you are, what are the big key people, places, things that make who you are up. And so whatever comes to your mind is, as I say, tell your story, kind of tell some of those things, just some of the things that shaped you, informed you, and then we'll get into, um, yeah, other questions I have for you. Okay, cool. Um, yes, I am from Seattle, kind of grew up in the area, which is more and more becoming an anomaly. Uh, a lot of people live here now from all over the place, which is a really cool thing, but it is a sense of pride to say that I'm from Seattle. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I grew up as an only child, um, kind of, you know, in a family of public educators. So education, school, all that has been a really big deal um, kind of my whole life. I also feel like my parents were very much, especially my mom, uh, she's an incredibly generous person. And it was always really important, I think, to her to sort of make sure that I knew that that was an important part of who I needed to be and how I needed to see the world. Um, but so yes, grew up in the area. Fast forward, I went to college at Western Washington University up in Bellingham, which is right by the Canadian border, um, which is actually where I met my husband, Mike. And then we got married in 2007, in October of 2007, and stayed there for a little while and then moved back to Seattle. He also grew up in the area. So both uh, families are around, which is a wonderful thing. Um, we've been married almost 11 years. And seven years ago, we had a little girl whose name is Violet. She is crazy and fun and spunky <laughs> and awesome. And we still live in Seattle. We live actually in Belltown, which is downtown. And uh, it's a fun part of the neighborhood to live in. Do, do, does my social media investigating check out when I say that you guys have this like cool, you guys live like in a kind of an apartment condo thing, like with really great views, kind of in the middle of everything, right? Yeah, we, so we've lived in Belltown for about six years, but last summer we bought a new place a couple blocks from where we had been and moved in and we are just incredibly lucky. We found a spot. We are right in the middle, like the heart of everything. But we have this really gigantic patio, which is a really awesome thing when you've got a seven-year-old. And she can ride her bike. And, you know, we it's been nice the last couple of days, which is not always the case here. So we've been trying to make good use of that and get it all ready for the summer and stuff. But yeah, it's really fun living in Belltown. There's a lot of stuff going on all the time. And I like the activity. I like all the energy. So let's let's talk about you mentioned at the tail end of uh, telling some of your story there. You mentioned Violet, yeah, and she's she's really one of the something that um, happened to her in the earlier parts of her life, and something you guys have done as a result of that is the reason why we're talking today. So why don't you tell us about you know what what was what was going on with her and how you guys walked through that? It must have been we have three kids. I mean, I just can't imagine some of the things that you guys had to be thinking through and processing through as you found out some of the news. And I don't even know when you found it out, if before she was born or after she was born. So kind of take us through um, that whole process, that whole part of your life leading up to uh, kind of stop before Violet Seas comes uh, in, into play here. Okay. So yeah, tell us, about, tell us about Violet. Yeah, well, like I mentioned, Violet is um, 
just a crazy, wonderful, awesome little girl. Um, and she just had her at the end of April, had her seventh birthday. So she was born, I had a very regular pregnancy, a very, you know, regular delivery. Everything was great. She was healthy. Um, and we, you know, obviously were thrilled, um, with a new daughter and couldn't wait to kind of get to see her grow up and all that stuff you look forward to when she was two weeks old, I think, no, when she was two months old, when we went to her two month well child checkup, her pediatrician kind of said, Oh, I I want one of my colleagues to come in and look at something really quick. We're like, Mm -hmm. okay, that seems strange, but I'm, I'm a pretty naive person, which is a good and a bad thing. And I, sometimes I like to say that the good stuff kind of shields me from really worrying too much. Um, so this other doctor came in and, you know, they kind of conferred and, and said to us, well, she looks like she's showing signs of, um, potentially having congenital cataracts, or it could just be that her eyes are, you know, a little bit immature and they'll grow and catch Mm. up and whatever. So, we didn't really know what any of that meant. Mike, my husband, started to ask kind of a lot of questions about being colorblind. And they said, no, that's not what this is indicating at all. Basically, what was happening is when they shine the light in her eyes, like they do at a doctor's appointment. Sure, yeah. Um, normally, when they do that, they get a red reflex, a reflection of the blood vessels that are in the back of the eye. And she wasn't showing any signs of that. So they were shining the light in and there was basically nothing coming back. And so they wanted me or wanted us to take Violet to go see a pediatric ophthalmologist to kind of, you know, confirm or deny or diagnose what was going on. And so we did that. Neither, I should add, neither Mike nor I really have any history of eye things at all. Neither of us wear glasses. Um, I really had no idea about any of this. I hear cataract. Mm. You think of old people. Um And so that was basically the sum total of my knowledge at that point. So I took Violet to a pediatric ophthalmologist that was nearby. And he took one quick look at her eye and he said, yeah, she definitely has what is called bilateral congenital cataracts. Hmm. And sort of what that means is that the lens in her eye should be kind of a crystal clear color, but it was a solid white And so instead of looking through a window, you're basically looking at a white screen. And that's why no light was basically coming back um, when the doctor was looking at her eye. And so he said, I don't perform the surgery anymore, but I have called a colleague or I've called another pediatric ophthalmologist in the area. You should be hearing from them this afternoon. And he, he was very... I mean, he was not, I should say, freaked out about any of this. So I, I didn't really know how to respond. Or I didn't know how to read that. But because, again, I had no idea what he was talking about. And But he did sure. kind of give me a sense of, you know, it's, it's fine, but this is urgent. You, you need to make sure to take care of this. So when, um, So I left that appointment a little bit, I don't know, did not know what to make of it. And then later that afternoon, I did, in fact, get a call from another pediatric ophthalmologist um, whose office is in Kirkland. His name is David Epley. He is still her ophthalmologist today. 
Um, he's amazing and wonderful. And I could go on and on about how awesome I think he is. So he called, we went in, I think a couple days later, we went to his office and he again confirmed that same diagnosis, bilateral congenital cataracts. And when I say bilateral, what that means is that it was in both eyes. Oftentimes kids who are born with cataracts, it it is only in one eye or it Mm. is a portion of an eye. It really can run the gamut. It can be a small, I know people who are born with congenital cataracts that never had it removed because it didn't affect their field of vision. Um, Violet Violet was kind of a pretty significant case. Um, It encompassed the entire lens. It was very thick. It really inhibited and it was in both eyes. So all that to say it, we went to his office, he confirmed that diagnosis again, and then we got scheduled for surgery probably the next week, which that was a little bit, that I think is when it became a little more oh, sure. yeah. of like, oh, okay, this is something serious and something that is, um, you know, a little bit bigger deal than I certainly thought it was. So we got scheduled for surgery at that point she was i think 12 weeks old and oddly enough she wasn't the youngest child that he was performing that same surgery on that morning there was another little baby who was i think only 6 weeks old which is really young to be doing that wow they like to this that particular condition the earlier the better which is the case with pretty much all childhood vision problems the sooner you can catch and correct things the better prognosis and better outcome that the child has for healthy vision. So Violet surgery um, composed of, he went in, removed the lenses in her eyes and replaced them with artificial ones. And there are different treatments for congenital cataracts, different ways of doing it. Um, I feel like this has been the best We've been very lucky and it has been a good, it was a good course of treatment for her. It made things a lot smoother on our end. So she has um, artificial lenses are called intraocular lenses. We tell her she has robot eyes (laughs) and she loves that. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was kind of, I mean, that sort of sums up that experience over after the course of, after the first surgery, She did have another surgery a few months later to clean up some scar tissue and that kind of a thing. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember all of the detail. Like I, it was part of our life and it, but I almost now it, it is a blur. And so I don't always remember kind of all of how, how we were feeling and kind of all that stuff, even though it took up such a big part of what was going on. But yeah. But yeah, she, I mean, she did great in those surgeries. They were very smooth. It was as easy as it probably could have been on us. Um, So we were very grateful. I can't imagine how, how damn hard that must have been to like see your child go through that. We have, like I said, we have three children. Our two daughters have stayed pretty much out of the hospital except for a few things, but our son has been in He's the youngest. He's been in the hospital six, seven, eight times so far. One, he broke his femur last year, so he was in a um, almost a full body cast for Violet five did that weeks. Also. And, really? Yeah, when she was two, she broke her femur. Did she have the spica cast and yes, all that? Yes, she did. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll have to talk offline about that. Cause yeah. that, I mean, talk about a, a devastate, like that is a hard five weeks or however long yes. she had it on. Like just crazy. So all that to say is like, I remember, I mean, I was weep. I mean, I'm a pretty soft, I'm a softy anyway. Yeah. And I was just like the whole time in the hospital, like just seeing your kid hurt like that. And I know yeah. there's a photo on, on the website that, you know, shows her with both of her eyes covered. How long did she have to have her eyes, you know, covered like that? What was the recovery like for her? Yeah. You know, the eyes are, they heal really fast. And I think, yeah. too, um, so she did, she had those shields on her eyes really only for like 12 hours after the okay. surgery. So when we first saw her after she, you know, when she was kind of waking up from the anesthesia, she had them on, she had these eye shields covering both of her eyes and she kept those on for the rest of the day and through the night. And we took them off the following morning and I spent, Mike and I decided to take turns <laughs> staying with her so that mm. somebody could sleep. Because as I'm sure you've now realized, when your child is in the hospital, you don't sleep because no. hospitals are not for sleeping in any way, shape, no. or form. Nope. And so she had those ice shields on overnight. I stayed with her overnight. And then I actually went home at like five o'clock in the morning and he came. So I wasn't there when they first took him off. And there is a picture of her. I think it's on our website. I'm not sure, but it has got to be my most favorite picture of Violet. She it was right after they took the eye shields off and she has the biggest smile that we had ever seen. And oh, in gosh. hindsight, and now to like when we, you know, see new babies and, um, those kids, they interact in such a different way than she did. She's our only first and only, we had no idea that she was not nearly as responsive and expressive as she would become after she was able to see. And so that picture of her is kind of just sort of a, a good indication of, oh my gosh, she can see stuff now. So that was kind of a pretty significant moment in the whole process for us. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Okay. So, so bridge the gap now between uh, the the surgery and the kind of birth, the genesis of Violet C's. Like yeah. how long, how long after that? And what kind of was the impetus behind starting Violet C's before we even get to talking about what that is? Yeah. Um, like what, what was the, kind of the journey there? Yeah. So kind of going back to what I mentioned about my parents and I, I definitely credit them with this, but I sort of look at life, you have two options. You, you can, if something is bad enough that you need to complain about it, you need to find something to do about it or there you, go. you gotta let it go. So I'll, I'll start with that. And I also, I think because of that, I, I look at the world in a way in which I like to find solutions to problems. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with how many problems there are, but I'm a firm believer in an optimistic outlook. And going through kind of those surgeries and, you know, what I knew, what I started to learn about vision and childhood vision in particular, which I kind of had a crash course in, but kind of starting to understand how big the problem was. And it was shortly after that, that I started doing some research and came upon the fact that 80% of the world's blindness is treatable or preventable. And mm. Violet's story is a perfect example because Violet was born with a condition that under any other circumstances, had she been born 30 years ago, had she been born in a different country, she would spend her entire life being blind. And, but because we live 
you know, in the United States and in Seattle in particular, and we have financial resources, she basically has a normal childhood and will have a normal life. Her vision isn't perfect. She gets to see, and it is a drastically different outcome than had it been any, you know, had it been under those other circumstances. And I thought that was crazy. And I just, I thought how ridiculous it was that there would be, and I read stories. I read a story not that long after she was born about a little girl who was born with the exact same thing. She lived in a different country and she was, you know, going to be blind for her whole life. Mm. And I thought that was not there. That doesn't sit well. Right. And I knew that there was something that needed to be done. We needed to, whether it was me or whether we were a part of it or whatever, I wanted to figure out why, how, how to solve that, how to make sure that 80% is a very large number. So how do you chip away at that? And that, I would say, we spent the, the next few years kind of ruminating over that and thinking about that. And there weren't any initial grand plans to try and start anything, but it was sort of on the back burner, sort of in the back of my head about how do I be a part of the solution here? How do I help fix this? So we went about life. Um, we, over the next couple years, t- would sometimes talk about it and sometimes think about what it could be. But it really wasn't until she was about three years old. I had gone back to work for the first time since she had been born and it wasn't really working very well. And it just, you know, life was maybe too chaotic for me to be working full time again. So Mm. I thought this is a great opportunity to start this thing. We've talked about this for the last few years. I, it doesn't work to work full time outside of the home. How can I, you know, be doing something in the midst of all this? So yeah, about three three years ago, she was about three and a half, three years ago from today, um, we decided that it was time to start this thing. And naturally, we wanted to name it after Violet. And so that's mm. where Violet Seas kind of came from. But And we started to build a nonprofit, basically, and with a lot of help and a lot of you know, other, other support from other people and things like that. We were able to kind of build something that could, I hope, be a part of the solution of making sure that, that we get to a spot where it's like 0% of the world's blindness could have been prevented. Yeah. So what is, thank you for sharing that, you know, kind of bridging that gap there. And now that Violet Seas is a thing, what what's your plan? Like, what are you guys doing right now? What have you done? And what is the big dream? Yeah. Um, currently and for the last, so like I said, it's, we've started Violet Seas about three years ago. Um, and since that time, we've been really focused on three different things, providing glasses to kids who can't afford them. Glasses Mm -hmm. are a really big part of treatment. Uh, and treatment is a big part of saving a child's sight if they have less than perfect vision And glasses are expensive and kids grow out of glasses and they break glasses and there's a big need for making sure that glasses get to kids who need them. It's one thing to diagnose a child with a vision problem, but if you're not able to do anything about it, it doesn't help. So we pay for glasses for kids who can't afford them. And that's been the bulk of our focus for the last three years. But that was kind of one 
pursuit that we wanted to go after with Violet Seas. The second is vision screening. Currently, and like when I say vision screening, most people will talk about their kids getting a vision screen when they're in elementary school, which is great and wonderful and an important part. However, vision screening really should be done like way sooner than kindergarten. Vision screening is super simple. There are devices that basically make it like you just need to take a picture of a child and they can refer, they can indicate problems or warning signs or um, help you know when you need to go see a pediatric ophthalmologist. And currently, the American Academy of Pediatrics in the last couple of years changed actually their recommendations to say that children should, should have a vision screening starting at age between ages one and three. And because the earlier, like I mentioned earlier, the earlier the diagnosis, the earlier that a a determination can be made, the better outcome it is. By the age of five, five, six, seven, if that is the first time that a child, you know, is made aware of a problem, it often can is refractory to treatment, and it makes it way difficult, way more difficult to treat and solve the problem. And we really wanted to be a part of spreading that message, telling parents that this was something they needed to be asking about at their pediatrician's office, that this is something that they need to make sure that they pursue for their own children. Um, And also even helping to spread the word to pediatricians. Not all pediatricians do it yet. So it's a big kind of undertaking to try and spread that message. But I think that is a significant part of helping to treat those kind those conditions that cause blindness that uh, could be, could have been prevented. And then the last one, you know, Violet is a good example of, or her situation is a good example of why research is important. So we wanted to be able to provide funding for research grants for people mm-hmm. who are pursuing new technologies and new ways of treating you know, whether it's congenital cataracts or other common vision conditions among children. So we've kind of had these three initiatives, the financial, um, the practical and kind of the research. Yeah, those are those are fantastic. Thank you uh, for sharing those. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's fine. Um, but I, I even like how you have the three kind of different, um, you know, ways of helping out outlined. Those are three kind of like all, enco- I mean, you're kind of encompassing so much if you're able to accomplish those three and kind of grow this platform, like those are three amazing things that I know that uh, so many people are going to uh, benefit from. So super, super excited about that. On your website, you quote Paul Allen's uh, "A winnable battle should never be lost," yeah, uh, which is a fantastic, a fantastic quote. Like, what does that, what does that mean to you? Why, why put that on the website? Is kind of like a, a kind of the big, the big statement for why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think it it directly relates to how I felt when I saw the statistic that 80% of the world's blindness is treatable and preventable. And even I would say it directly relates to how I felt in the midst of all of our situation with Violet when we were living in it day to day. The idea that there are similar stories out there that can't be fixed, it just seemed ridiculous. And I, it feels like there are so many problems in the world that don't have solutions, but to think that there are problems that do have solutions and that there's something in the way of that is kind of mind boggling to me. Mm, Yeah. So I, yeah, I saw that quote and I just really loved it. And I think that it, it pretty perfectly encapsulates 
not only what Violet Seas is hoping to do, but kind of the the idea behind children's vision in general also. I, I, I love that earlier in our conversation, you pointed out, you know, when you see something wrong, uh, you decided to either, because we can't do everything, yeah. you decided I'm either going to do something about this or I'm going to stop whining about it. I'm going to stop complaining about it. I'm going to stop, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I, I love that because as I've built up Let's Give a Damn and we're working on different really exciting projects right now. Kind of one of my tasks, I, I don't usually, this is not one of the stated things on our website or my website, but but I always see one of my roles as taking people's excuses away mm-hmm. um, through through telling these stories because we, we spend a lot of time pointing out what's wrong and then we spend even more time coming up with all the excuses for not doing something about it. Yes. And I agree that we can't do everything. You're, you're you're very wise to say that. We're all very wise to realize that because we'll burn ourselves out and we'll die an early death, a premature death from trying to do too much, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is if all of us give a damn about one, two or three things that we that are are things that we're really passionate about, things we can actually accomplish something about, a, a lot more is going to get done than if we get overwhelmed with all the things that are wrong, all the terrible, shitty things in life, and then just resign to, well, I can't do something about everything, so I'm not going to do anything at all. Right. That's a that's a terrible way to live. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, I love kind of that attitude, and then a winnable battle should never be lost. This is very much a winnable battle. I mean, it's kind of, you know, on your website, you also state uh, a, ch- a child becomes blind every minute you know, right before you talk about the 80% of these are preventable and treatable, that's kind of overwhelming. But when you think about all the people that have a direct, they have a direct tie to this issue, right? Mm -hmm. If all those people, right, you, you guys really, you know, what was happening with Violet, you guys really said, what can we do about this? Well, we can do something about it. We have resources and we have skills and, and we have direct like experience with this exact problem. Like it, it wouldn't make sense for me, honestly, to get involved in this sort of a thing in terms of like starting it. I obviously want to help in any way I can, but yeah. this was your thing to start. Just like I've got my things to start. Totally. And so I, I really, I, I love that attitude. I, I'm excited for those listening to really hear that and for the listener to go wrestle with what, okay, what's now knowing that what's, what's my place in this. Yeah. Um, so thanks for sharing that as you've built Violet Seas and kind of as you've matured as an adult and as a person, and really, the last seven years, I'm sure you're you were a way different person before having Violet and having to encounter all of this and really wrestle through it. What have you learned personally about giving a damn, about compassion, and about doing something about the problems we see? Are, are there any things? That, are there any lessons or wisdom that you can share with those listening about what you've learned over the last few years? Yeah, I think it, it kind of even just what you were saying is that we all have our own thing. Um, I, I think part of the reason that I would say I look at things in terms of either go do something about it or, you know, you kind of have to kind of let it go, um, is that we all, we all have something and I would much rather spend my time in life being productive and trying to help fix something than spinning my wheels, being upset, if that makes sense. Yeah. I personally, and other people can disagree with me, but I personally think that it is not healthy, not a great spot to always be um, in the negative. I think there's a time and a place, but then how do we, you know, make lemonade out of the lemons? And I find a lot of inspiration in other people who are doing that. And I think that continues to motivate me to think, how do I take the hard things in life and 
use them to, to make either the world a better place is a very broad way of looking at it. But how do we just take what we have and not have it, not lose it for vain? If that makes sense, mm. that's a kind of a clunky way yeah. of describing it. But I don't, I don't want the hard things we've dealt with in our life to be wasted. And I think not everyone looks at it that way. And I know that that can be a hard spot to come to depending on what's going on and what's happening. And I fully recognize that, you know, yes, this has been a difficult Violet and her eyes has been kind of a difficult thing in our family, but it is not the same as dealing with a lot of other things. And so I don't mean in any way to minimize the hardships that people are experiencing. I think if you can find a way to take what's happening or to take what has happened and use it for fuel to make something better, I think that can be really therapeutic for people. And I think that that is, can help other people, which obviously feels good. When I get to talk to other, the families of the kids that we've helped, when I get to talk to other parents who are trying to navigate a new situation and figure out what to do about it, it is a heartwarming and, and it feels good to be able to help other people and to think that my daughter being born with this issue has now been able to provide glasses for all these different kids. I mean, there's a lot to be proud of in that. And, you know, I hope that I can sort of teach her that same mindset of how do I continue to, you know, pay it forward? Or how do I continue to use what's going on in my life to help other people? Because I do, I do think that it, it is a way to find, you know, solace on your own of whatever has happened. So I, I think a, a, a lot of people listening are probably wondering, how is Violet doing today? Like, do you think that what she has gone through has made her obviously a different person than she would have turned out to be, but a better person? Like, what are you kind of experiencing now is seeing a seven-year-old Violet who has gone through, you know, not the worst hardship in the world, but a hardship for sure. And one that could have left her in a way different place in life if you guys had not taken action steps while she was a little kid. And so, yeah, how, how is she doing today? She's doing great. She is hilarious. She has lots of personality. She is very outgoing. She's very stubborn. She really loves people. It is hard to wonder how has this affected her or who she is. But I think that it's, she's a very lucky kid. And, you know, honestly, one of the reasons that we live downtown is because it, there are more opportunities for a kid like her to be in a bigger city. There's better public transportation. There are just other opportunities for her that, you know, if we lived somewhere else might not be. And because of that, she also gets to see how different everybody is from one another. Mm. She goes to an elementary school where kids are from literally all over the world. And I think that, you know, she has been exposed to a lot of differentness in her life. And I think that that's a really good thing, especially for someone like her who has something that's different about her. You know, we're all, we talk a lot about how we're all different. We're all unique. We all have things that make us special. And so I think, you know, that is, she definitely takes that to heart. And I think she really appreciates, appreciates and embraces the things that make everybody unique, whether it's your eyes, whether it's you know, what country you're from, whether it's, you know, that you have, you are in a wheelchair or, you know, you like to run really fast or whatever it is that differences can be celebrated and that we are all different. And that's a really good thing. 
but yeah, she's doing really great. That's awesome. And, and, uh, I, I, I don't know you personally, but I know your husband and, and I, I think I could probably safely say, you know, I'm sure Violet is very grateful to have parents who are people of action, right? That's something that we can all so. learn from this is, you know, you can come up against a hardship in life and decide to not even necessarily complain about it, but just be like super complacent about it and like, ah, okay, moving on now versus what you guys did is, you know, over the course of years, you said, we've got to do something about this. Like we've been given so much, how can we help others? And so I'm, I'm grateful that you, you know, I'm grateful that she has you guys and that you guys have her because that just makes for, you know, a richer life experience for you guys. Um, this question is that I ask every podcast guest this same question because I'm I think it's one of the most important questions to ask and I'm always interested to hear what people have to say. And so the the not hypothetical part about this this scenario that I'm about to paint is that someday Jen you're going to die. Hopefully it's many many years from now, but that's yeah. we we've got a 100% mortality rate yep. so far. Um and but the the hypothetical part of this question is that for some odd reason I've been asked to give your eulogy. And so that, you know, everybody's packed in this uh, beautiful room to celebrate and mourn your life. Violet, uh, your husband, your your family, your friends, all the kids that you guys have been able to help through Violet Seas. And you've lived a very rich life and they're all there waiting for me to, um, you know, speak, you know, words about your life and legacy on that day. What would you hope that I would say about your life and legacy? Well, that's such a big question. Um... I honestly, I, I hope that, I think ultimately, I hope that my life can be one that was used to help other people, that we were able to use whatever it is that we had and help other people. I think that people are the most important asset that we have. And if we're not caring about one another and we're not helping each other, then that is a big loss. Um, I also hope that you know, kind of going back to the lemons out of, or lemons into lemonade, that we were able to do that, that I was able to take what had happened in life and use it for good. Ultimately, that I think would be my biggest hope was that, that my life would, would show people that that was a valuable thing to spend my time doing. Well, if, if you can accomplish that, that sounds like a life well lived. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're well on your way there for sure. So um, before we sign off today, Jen, what do you want people to go look for? Yeah. Are there, uh, web, website, social media handles, what do you want people to go look for to, so they can learn more about you and about the work you're doing? Yeah, so our website is just violetseas.org, B-I-O-L-E-T-S-E-E-S.org. Um, there's some information about kind of some of the stuff we've talked about today, how we got started, what we're trying to do. Uh, obviously there's a way to donate if you're so inclined. Um, some of the, one of the other resources that is really helpful that's out there is another organization called the Children's Eye Foundation. They are, uh, the foundation of a, a bigger organization called the American Association for Pediatric Ophthalmology and Strabismus. Their website is just childrenseyefoundation.org. They've got a lot of really helpful resources for parents who are finding themselves with a new diagnosis or have questions about, you know, uh, their children's eyes. The other thing I would say is that I, I hope that I can impress upon people how important it is to care about your child's vision. It's really easy to miss because kids don't know that they don't see the way they're supposed to. So I think asking pediatricians to do vision screening to 
If they're not doing vision screening, ask them why they're not doing vision screening. You can helpfully remind them that the AAP guidelines now suggest that uh, pediatricians start doing a vision screen between the ages of one and three. Um, early detection, like I've said many times, is a really important part. Early detection makes a big difference for basically every vision condition that a child might get, whether it's retinoblastoma, which is cancer, whether it is amblyopia, strabismus, um, different issues that a child might run into, it's earlier the better. So those are kind of the things that I probably would hopefully like people to take away. Yeah, super helpful stuff. Jen, this has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on to share with me and with the Let's Give a Damn family. Uh, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And um, I just, I really appreciate you kind of shining a light on this. Dear friends, thank you for joining me yet again for another amazing conversation. Wasn't Jen awesome? I really enjoyed getting to know her a little bit more, hearing more about Violet Seas and what they're doing, what they've done, what they're doing, what they plan to do. Very exciting stuff. And I'm also grateful that Violet does have her eyesight and can now be a kind of a testament to this, this miracle that happened to her and give hope to others who may be experiencing um, all sorts of blindness. So thank you for joining me for this conversation. I'm sure that Jen would love to hear your thoughts on our conversation. She would love to hear different ideas you may have. Uh, and, and I know that they would love for you to donate so they can get more glasses to different children. So please visit the work they're doing at violetseas.org. You can also find them on Facebook. Search for Violet Seas. You'll find them there. Before you go, one quick ask. Uh, I hope I'm not wearing this out, but I would love for some of you that are listening here to the very end to go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, those, those reviews are slowly growing, but I would love to see them grow at a greater rate because it truly does give us a certain, it gives us a, some credibility and it also helps us get in front of the eyes and ears of more listeners. Uh, thank you so much for listening in today. I really love that you've joined me this week. If you have any questions at all, please hit me up at Nick LaPara everywhere on social media. You can also email me hello at nicklapara.com. And we're Let's Give a Damn everywhere on social media as well. Let's keep in touch. Please join me again next week for another inspiring story of an amazing damn giver. We've got some really great ones coming up. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well, because that will ensure that you'll see these new ones. They'll come right to your uh, favorite podcast app versus you having to hear about it on social media or whatnot. So make sure to subscribe. See you next week. Love you all. Bye.